The 360 on Energy and Carbon, hosted by 360 Energy. Today we are joined by Jason Wolf, Director of Energy Solutions at Fortis BC. Jason has been with Fortis BC for 20 years and is presently the Director of Energy Solutions responsible for the marketing and sales efforts of Fortis BC, including the residential sales team, commercial and industrial account management, the development of new energy products and services, including new energy technologies for customers, and the renewable gas program. Now let's get into the episode with Jason. Good to be back, Lysandra and Dave. Yes, and you guys did an episode last week. I watched it. It was fantastic. So I'm looking forward to get back into the uh, mix and see how we do this week. Great. Great to have you back, Dave. And today we're joined by guest Jason Wolf, Director of Energy Solutions at Fortis BC. Welcome, Jason. Thanks. Great to be here today. Okay, so shall I kick off? Go right ahead. Okay, just so that we can get a feel of things. Based on sort of total energy use, electrical and natural gas, what's the sort of breakdown of your clients' customers between residential, commercial and industrial? Based on energy use and our utility, we have about a third, third, and third. So each each group uses about a third of the amount of energy. That's pretty specific, though, to the jurisdiction as well. You'll see different energy patterns and consumptions in different jurisdictions. Ontario would be different. Alberta would be different as well. Mm-hmm. Customer numbers, though, the majority are residential. We have yeah. over a million residential. And industrial, you only have a couple thousand. Yeah, and I guess you, you have to treat them as separate market sectors, don't you? Very, very much so. They use energy in a different way. Your residential customer primarily uses it for space, water, heating, lighting, et cetera, and they just expect it to come on when they turn the <laughs> switch, the light comes on or the furnace kicks in, You know, whereas your uh, commercial customer might still be the same if it's small, if it's getting into manufacturing, they're looking at it for specific use and well, your industrial are very sophisticated. So they're looking at it for, okay, well, how do I use it in process heat or controls, equipment, and, and very, very specific uses. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Jason, just to pick up on that. So effectively, Fortis BC is in the natural gas and electrical markets. Yes. In BC. Correct. Uh, not a lot of uh, utilities are in gas and electric. They typically are gas or they're electric. So you're in a unique uh, situation there. The, the split that you had, one-third, 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 is that the same for electricity and gas, or I'm just it's, it's a little different, but not that much different, honestly. But again, jurisdictionally, it can be very different. If we think of Alberta and, and Ontario, both have much bigger manufacturing and industrial sectors, so that split is very different there. Right. BC's industrial sector actually is pretty small uh, in yeah. comparison, and so that's why we see a more even split. The other kind of split that's really interesting, especially as we think of energy use, energy transition, decarbonization, is not just the type of customer, so your residential, commercial, industrial. It's about where does the energy come from to begin with? Because you have to know what you're starting with if you're looking to transition. So in NBC, we have about 17% of the energy is provided by uh, electricity. Uh, a little over 30% by natural gas, even more than that, uh, high 30s for liquid fuels, so diesel and, uh, and gasoline. 
and then a fair chunk, 17% for uh, biofuels. And so that comes into the whole play as well. So you think about customer segment, then you also think, well, what energy do they use? And how, if we're looking to decarbonize transition, how, how do we start? Where do we start from? What do we do? So this is uh, leads to the, the next question. That's perfect segue, by the way. That's a nice setup. Thank you for that. No, that, no worries. Uh, that's what um, I'm here for. So, so, you know, we're going, we're undertaking energy transition in the marketplace. Not a lot of people really understand what that means and what that takes, but certainly the utilities are in the, they're a critical role to make that happen. And so can you share, that's my personal opinion. Can you share with me what role the utility will play? Maybe Fortis VCs will play in this energy transition. And I have a secondary question after that. Well, yeah, that, that's a, that you're right. That is a perfect segue. You think of it that, that utilities in British Columbia deliver then about 35% of the energy uh, in the province, roughly, but that's two main companies, Fortis BC and BC Hydro. Uh, when you think of that, that, that means that what those companies do will have a big impact on any change. They have a lot of customers that are captive, a uh, million and a bit for us, a million six for BC Hydro. They have communication tools. They can communicate, uh, you know, work with those customers on programs, whatever it might be. And that's very different than the other markets for liquid fuels and for uh, biofuels, because those are very fragmented and segmented. And there's not one single, you know, entity then that can sway a million customers or, you know, million homes or businesses that utilities can. And so they do have a unique position, but they're also, the other component is they're quite, they're very necessary to keep the lights on and to keep the economy running, that they continue to provide that energy through this transition. And so you can't do anything too quickly either because all that, all those assets, the, the pipes, the wires have been around for a while. They're expected to be around for a while, delivering reliable energy. And so any transition has to consider that. But I don't think you're going to do any transition without, you know, solid support of utilities. So th this is across North America. I would suggest that you need that to really move any transition. And can you share with us then the second layer question is uh, what are the changes that are occurring in the, in the utility world or what are the, what's the transition that's occurring with a uh, Fortis BC to mm -hmm. advance the energy transition? Can you share with us? Uh, sure. That perhaps the biggest change across North America is there's a significant push for electrification as a tool to decarbonize. And we talk about that in with respect to vehicles, so electrifying vehicles, cars, trucks, et cetera. We're very familiar with that from the standpoint of the vehicles themselves, not so much of what it takes to deliver that electricity, but then also to decarbonize buildings, decarbonize industry that currently would use a natural gas. And you, if you think of that, that's very significant. Uh, in BC, I talked about that kind of split between the, the energy forms to decarbonize or to move everything from liquid fuels and, and natural gas to electricity means you have to shift 68% of the energy demand from those two forms to electricity. And that's a tall task as an electricity operator ourselves to put the infrastructure in to do that. That's a a five times a quintupling of the size of the electrical grid. And that kind of challenge is apparent everywhere in North America. And you've probably read a lot of articles lately across Canada, anyhow, about how are we going to do this? How are we going to not only 
decarbonize the electric grid, which in BC has already happened, but decarbonize the grid and then add to it in some cases five times or three times or two times the grid in a very short span of time. So these are big challenges that we're facing. And so we're looking at it not just as a way of, okay, well, how can we expand our electric grid and serve more uses, managed cars that are coming on and if more buildings come on, but then what can we do with our gas grid? Because in the winter, the gas grid is a primarily primary energy delivery uh, vessel in the province, not the electric grid. And so you're going to need both. And that means finding ways to decarbonize the gas grid. And as you said, not only the, the, the mass or the vast growth that's required, but the speed and expectation is a speed that I think formerly I was from a uh, utility myself. The speed is probably, it's not something that's ever been done historically in the utility industry. No, utility industries are, are thought of as being quite boring. You have these assets that you put in and you expect to be there for 40, 50 years. A dam is 80 or 100 years. Yes. You don't build out a system to have a lot of extra capacity because it's very costly to do so. So you build it out to have a little growth and, 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 and you know accommodate some new customers, but not too much. And then you plan for long term. We put in these things called resource plans in front of our regulator, and that's looking at 20 years out uh, to what is now about 25 years hitting 2050 and net zero plans to fundamentally change the energy delivery systems is, is I don't know, Herculean task, to say the least. It's been described by some people almost like a wartime effort mm -hmm. uh, because the, the speed of which you have to do it. So I... I'm curious because that is a monumental yeah. effort and task. And as you said, that we there again, I can convey this because I worked with a utility for many years. It, it, there's a cultural aspect behind it too, because you know, things are pretty stable. You move consistently, reliably, and now the speed of expectation is something that a lot of people in that culture have never been in or been involved in before. So it it, it, it is. Very challenging exercise. I, I'll I'll be curious uh, as we go through this how mm -hmm. how do you how do you get through that? I'll be interested to hear. Yeah, well, and not only do you have to get through it, and we are talking about you know decarbonization, but the other side of that coin is reliability, resiliency, and affordability. Because new energy costs more than existing energy, and and how do you do that in transition and how do you transition in one jurisdiction and make sure you're keeping pace and with the other jurisdictions so you don't lose industry to a jurisdiction next door and all these factors have to come into play because not only do customers expect the lights to just come on or their furnace to, to work when it's cold they expect it to occur for the same price that they're paying today yes yes I better hand it over to John or else I'll just keep on asking questions. Yeah, you will. I'm actually just going to rewind us just a little bit because you made a comment, Dave, about, oh, do people understand what the energy transition is? And I think this would be a good opportunity to ask Jason, what, how would you describe the energy transition? What is it and why do we need it? Uh, well, the energy transition is... is whether it's the UK or North America, definitely in the Western world is talking about how to decarbonize, how to lower carbon emissions yeah. by a certain amount, by a certain time. And we've sort of settled on 
a 2030 target in many jurisdictions and then a 2050 target of what would be called net zero and so yeah. zero emissions from the energy use but across the world 82 percent of the world's energy is provided by fossil fuels and if you're looking to then transition or lower emissions that means moving from that use of that fuel to something else and uh, as, as dave you were saying that that is that fundamental shift it's that wartime effort there's a question of how to do it how much resources will be taken to do that yet you still have the rest of the economy to worry about and do you just take everybody from all other you know areas of the economy to do this what does that look like what do the costs look like are there ways to do this more effectively efficiently affordably than than others and those are the things that we are trying to grapple with in in each jurisdiction and then each jurisdiction has to work kind of in concert or else you're going to have challenges as well yes it's, it's interesting your response there because here in the UK, we, we, we regularly change the name of our ministries. I don't know why. I mean, way back, I used to do work for the Department of Energy. You knew what that was. Uh, we've gone through various different things. And the current formation we have is an interesting one. It's the Department of Energy Security and Net Zero. And this is a post-Ukrainian ministry. Right. And equally, I just just... For a bit of context here, we are experiencing in in the UK a degree of pushback on net zero, even to the point that it has been suggested by certain newspapers in this country that we should have a referendum on it. All I can say is the last time we had a referendum, we made a right mess of it. <laughs> That's a personal view. <laughs> That's a whole one, other podcast topic. That's yeah, podcast. And one, one of the reasons we made a mess of it was because people didn't understand what the issue was. So we really shouldn't do it on that. But anyway, that, that aside, and as you say, we, we, you know, we can have fun with that at some time. But can you provide us some examples of what uh, Fortis BC is doing in part, as part of this transition? Sure, but I, I'm going to actually take you a step back and, and sure. comment on the, the, the public and what they think, because that is, I think, a real significant issue that we face everywhere yeah. in that those that are in the industry understand what it means. We can articulate it. We can understand maybe what it takes. And we at Fortis have done many studies to look out to 2050 and how we get there. So we understand it very well what this takes. But I don't think the public understands it. If, if you survey the public, they will say that they want to decarbonize. They say they support the targets for 2030 or 2050 on overall but they don't know how you're going to get there and you shouldn't expect them to either. They're not in the industry. They expect either government or industry to figure that out. The challenge though, is they expect them to figure it out and have no cost to impact to them and have no impact or reliability or resiliency or anything like that. In other words, I want to turn on the light and it works for the same price today as yes. it is, you know, will be in the future. And that's the real challenge. So, you know, I, I did want to comment on that because, you have to work within, you, you were talking about referendums and things like that. We yeah. haven't quite got to that point here, but we're starting to see some questions that are coming up in the news media just about how we're going to do this. Yeah, Because it's one thing to state it, it's another thing to implement and, and to do it within that time frame. And so, you know, we, we, we've got to be careful as industry too. We're, we're not a crown corporation as far as BC, but 
we do you know have to work within legislation and targets that are set as well we have to be careful that we can still provide that energy to customers and and not mess up along the way so that's a long-winded answer before i even get to your question of what are we doing right <laughs> so let's let's jump into that a number of things utilities do some pretty traditional things which i would call energy efficiency type programs or in regulatory speak a demand side management and we've been doing that for ages where you're encouraging customers to just be more efficient in their energy use. That's the fastest, lowest hanging fruit way to reduce emissions. Just be more efficient, use less energy, and that will get you there no matter what energy form you are looking at. As I said, on our electric side, our energy all, uh, comes in Florida, BC, all from dams. So it's very, very low emissions. There's no thermal generation. On our gas side though, that's perhaps a more interesting area because well, that is natural gas, it's methane, either when methane is emitted that has a, a carbon intensity or if it's converted to heat and CO2, it's got a carbon intensity. So what are we doing there? A number of things actually, we are the first North American utility to have a renewable natural gas program. That started a little over I think we're nearly 12 years now and you know, we started that at as a response to both a changing policy environment, but customer interest and in, in looking for something that was lower carbon. We're uh, doing a smaller uh, pilot program on carbon capture. Uh, so carbon capture actually at the appliance level, not at a uh, coal plant or a gas-fired electricity plant. So we're doing something like that. And we're always looking for solutions like that too, that can meet our customer needs. In the case of renewable gas, it's pretty nice because the customer doesn't have to do anything. They don't have to change out to say an electrical heat pump to get emission reductions. They can, we change out what goes into the pipe with something like a carbon capture unit that's a bolt on in a sense to an existing boiler. And so they don't have to do that much different as well. So we're trying to find solutions like that where we can utilize still that gas grid that provides that uh, significant amount of energy in the province. And especially on those cold days, it delivers about twice the amount of energy as the electric grid. So you can utilize that and keep the you know, buildings heated and the industry humming, but find ways to reduce those emissions. Yeah, that's that's really interesting there because you you said earlier on, you know, there's the drive for electrification, but we do have in most jurisdictions, an established pipeline network that if we went all heat pumps and everything else, we would have a redundant network. But we then start getting into the arguments, don't we, or the discussion of hydrogen, biogas, whatever, and all that gets very complicated. And again, I think going back to your earlier point, many of the end users can't understand the difference. And, perhaps, you know, it's a good question. Do they need to? I, I don't think they do. It's complicated. It's very difficult. And, and you shouldn't expect anybody to. We've got to a point in our society where we aren't forging uh, for wood to heat our homes or anything like that. Yeah. That component of our life has gone away. We turn on the light. We, we, we you know, adjust the thermostat for heat. For our society to work and for industry to function, that has to continue. Um, so I yeah. think it is incumbent upon the experts in the room to figure out a way to find a solution and also then work with the, the policy side to go, here's something that will work. You set a target, but we have to find a pragmatic, logical way to get there. And it sounds like complicated and it is, how do you put renewable gas into the pipe? How do you put hydrogen? What does that look like? 
that's what we're here to figure out and sort out so that the consumer can still just adjust that thermostat and and have the heat come right. on yet it's coming on with lower emissions than it would have otherwise okay yeah interesting just picking up on that jason and so so my understanding in bc you are a jurisdiction that actually i think you require isn't it mandatory that you need five percent of your renewable uh, gas be renewable energy. Am I is that correct? not by law yet? There's there's policy, which is they are looking at a greenhouse gas reduction standard. So something where it's we will be legislated actually to have a certain amount of uh, of reduction. Uh, but we do have legislation that permits us, doesn't force us, but permits us to use a certain percent of renewable gas and thereby it compels the regulator, allow, you know, says to the regulator, you must approve this. So that allows us to purchase a certain amount of energy and it works out to be about not quite 15% of renewable gas in our system. So we're allowed to go out and procure that and get that approved by a regulator as a result. Now let's benchmark that. That's actually higher than I thought. And, and truthfully, I'm not trying to float in it. That's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. How is that in comparison to other jurisdictions? Extremely high. Quebec actually has some in and they're a little bit less, but they're following very much in similar footsteps now and, and are actively in, in that market. Other than Quebec, I guess, and BC, no other North American jurisdiction has the same expectations or legislation that permits that. Even California and, and New York, they're, they're restricting use, but they're not requiring a lower emission gas type uh, products in there. So we in, in BC, I would say we are at the forefront in North America of that. That's what I thought. Now, here's a question for you, uh, because it, it's, it's admirable to do that and quite important to do that. But I suspect there's really good business reasons to do that as well. Can you, has it been beneficial or is that a, a, a cost implication to you guys taking there, certainly there's some opportunity if we as a utility own the production facilities and you know, certainly our shareholder would like that we earn a, a return on that a regulated return as the as our regulator would allow and that does permit that so we do own a couple facilities right now they're small uh, in comparison to what we have coming on we have contracted as coming from third parties and so in that case it is just a flow through. There's no earnings that we make on that. We, we purchase it for a certain amount and we sell for the same amount. Okay. Why well, I'm bringing this up and this is, is consistent with all our podcasts and, and the stuff we're doing is our messaging to clients and I'm talking about end use clients is actually when you undertake this effort, most of the time it's just good business. It's just, you can make a good business rationale and there's economic benefits if you do it and do it well. So I was kind of curious from the utilities perspective, how that came about. Okay. I'm going to, I, my next question is, uh, and you may have touched upon it before, but if you could, let's do this again. Uh, how are BC utilities different from Alberta versus Ontario? Can you kind of enlighten what, what makes you different in, in, the, in the markets, if you can share from your perspective? 
We're, we're all regulated in a similar fashion, which is in a provincial level. And there's legislation in each province that governs what that is and how the regulator works. I think a lot of it comes down to policy direction, though, as well as energy makeup in those provinces. And perhaps the most starkest, the, the, the most, the greatest difference between two provinces on the energy front probably is BC and Alberta that are next door to each other. We have over 97% of our electricity comes from hydro sources, very little thermal. Whereas in Alberta, the primary source is thermal and they have a bunch of wind and solar as well. But policy direction in Alberta doesn't yet support something like renewable gas. So we buy renewable gas actually from Alberta, from oh. uh, a variety of suppliers, uh, feedlots and, and things like that, ag agricultural sources. But there isn't legislative support for the utilities in Alberta to bring that in yet. Now, we do see that sort of starting to change a little bit now, but there isn't that support. In Ontario, there's starting to be some support. We actually, again, buy renewable gas from Ontario because they weren't quite there yet. Now they're starting to look there. But the other big factor is that in BC, our, our main uh, population base is in a very temperate climate. It's, it's sort of like England. It, it, is, it does get cold in the interior, but where most of the population is, it, it's not very cold. And, and so there's less of a heating demand than in Alberta and Ontario. And so in, in Alberta, Ontario, you have much more, you, you lean a lot harder on that gas grid than you would in BC. And so I think that also helps form some of the policy direction because in Ontario, the utilities are encouraged to continue connecting customers and have legislation has been created where they can put that in their earnings as an asset they can earn on. Whereas in BC, we don't have that. Obviously we're still allowed to connect, but we don't have that explicit encouragement to go and connect that occurs in Ontario. I think that's because it's colder. You're going to need that gas grid in a different way than you do in a more temperate climate. Okay, thank you for sharing that. That's absolutely a great answer. Well, Jason, thank you so much for an excellent episode. To end this episode off, what is the biggest takeaway for our listeners? Biggest takeaway for listeners is that there is no silver bullet solution to decarbonization. <laughs> we are going to need every tool that we can find in that toolbox and we shouldn't discount any, you know, you, you think the gas grid, well, that is a methane carbon source, but what can we do with that? Can we find ways to lower that emission? Is that a lower hanging fruit than something else? How, what do we need to do with electric grid? We're going to need everything possible and we should be very open to solutions that way because we do need to keep the lights on we need to do we need to deliver energy reliably and we have to do so uh, by keeping the cost down as well to consumers thanks jason john what's your biggest takeaway i i have a couple of things that i found interesting and i i think i think jason's comment about how, is it we've got to trust the experts in the room I'm slightly worried sometimes about who's in the room, but I, I, do, I do take on board. I think what is interesting and is a takeaway, and Jason said it's for residential, that they want the lights to come on and they expect it to be the same price or cheaper. I actually think that many commercial and industrial customers want the same as well. Perhaps, you know, they just view it as, as that's what it's going to be. So what it, what it says to me, my takeaway is, it's it's going to take quite a lot of work from those that know what's going on 
to make the energy transition work. Thanks, John. Dave, what's your biggest takeaway? I'm going to pick up on what John said, but uh, related to uh, certainly what Jason was saying. This, Jason, you want to know, we, we've done, I think, over 60 some odd podcasts and one person who stated that it won't be uh, it won't be <laughs> shot. It won't be one silver bullet. It will be buckshot. It'll be a variety of, uh, and you reinforce that. The, the other comment that I think is this will need a variety of people, experts. And by the way, those experts they even might be customers that have expertise in how they use energy to help solve this problem. And you will, you kind of opened my eyes because you were talking about buying renewable energy from Ontario and, and I'm like, wow, I, I, I didn't. So that means it has to be a total solution. You can't be just isolated, just strictly thinking of, okay, uh, Ontario, or we, we're going to have to, as a country, uh, work collectively to make sure that we come up with the best solution, whether it's to come for a solution that helps BC and Alberta and Ontario. So I, I think you kind of opened my eyes because my experience in my past with utility industry is we tend to be very insular, but you just described to me how it's more broader scale. And, and I'm, I'm pleased to hear that that seems to be integrated going forward. All right. Thank you so much, Dave, John, and Jason for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks Enjoyed very it. much. It was a pleasure. Thanks, guys. That's all for today's episode of the 360 on Energy and Carbon podcast. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check us out on our website at 360energy.net and follow us on LinkedIn at 360 Energy Inc. Tune in to our podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, Anchor, or other listening platforms by searching the 360 on Energy and Carbon. You can watch the video recording and subscribe on YouTube at 360 Energy Inc. Email us your feedback at podcast at 360energy.net or comment on our LinkedIn posts. See you next week.